Welcome to the Real Life Resilience Podcast. Stories of recovery from life's most difficult trauma with Stacy Brookman. My idea and any bona fide qualified writer, what you'll find is that they call themselves a writer because they write. And there's really no other way of describing a writer other than that. That's a really important piece for people to get that for you to be a writer, all you need to do is pick up a pen and begin to write. This is Stacy Brookman, and you're listening to Real Life Resilience, the only podcast that connects you with the world's best resources for becoming a resilient person. Our guest today was born to a drug-addicted mother in Medellin, Colombia, during the height of the Colombian cocaine cartel. His mother was murdered when he was five years old. Thereafter, he was homeless for three years before being adopted into the U.S., He talks about using your words to blossom as an individual. He shares a poignant piece that he wrote shortly after meeting his biological father for the first time. If you've ever wondered about how people cobble words together to form something beautiful out of their lives, stay tuned. Before we discover more, let me share something with you that might change your life. You've been through tough times in your life. We all have. But there's a powerful truth. Your stories will reveal wisdom that you don't know you possess. The question now is, where do you start? There's a simple, tested step-by-step flow for discovering your life theme and putting your life into a beautiful story. A story that allows you to be the best possible version of yourself. Register now for Stacy's next free webinar where she reveals the four simple, proven methods to writing the first chapter of your life story this week. Simply click on the link in the show notes or head to stacybrookman.com slash webinar. I love to hear from listeners personally and I answer my own emails. So drop me a line and let me know what you found interesting in this episode or to ask me a question. My email is stacy at stacybrookman.com. Now let's welcome Luis Congdon. Welcome, Luis. Tell us a little bit about your background. You've done a lot of very interesting things in your life. It's great to be here because I get to talk a little bit about another side of me. So I originally, since this is for the audience, I originally found writing when I was in middle school and was getting in a lot of trouble, had been expelled from school, went to a new school, and was kind of one of those students that was very bright but oftentimes misbehaved. And I had a teacher ask me if I would stay after class if I would come if I would come at the end of the school day. She had something behind her back as she came to greet me and then she pulled it out and said, This is a little gift for you. And it was a poetry book by Pablo Neruda titled The Captain's Verses. Inside she had done a handwritten note in there for me about who Pablo Neruda was and how he, like myself, was a very thoughtful and pensive person who saw the specialness in life. So she saw something in me that I didn't really want to be seen, I guess. And in private, after reading that book, I started to try to emulate Pablo Neruda. And I wrote very often as a way for me to find a way to feel free in life and to connect and to have a conversation with myself and with something that was beyond me. Uh, And it was a really great gateway and an entrance into a whole new life later on in my life. That's interesting. Now, how did you do that? What did you start with? Just writing interesting things in your life? Or how how did that start exactly? Right. Well, I would read the book, The Captain's Verses, and I would try to maybe take a line out of his poem. 
And then I would try writing after that. So, you know, if he, you know, said your smile spreads like a butterfly's wings, I would take that line and I would try to add something to it. So your smile spreads like a butterfly's wings on a summer day and I'm in love with you or something like that, you know, and I would try to just play around with it. Uh, The other thing that I tried doing is I tried sprinkling in his stuff into my stuff. So not just start with that, but if I'm writing something, you know, like it's a beautiful summer day and the grass feels there's a cushion on my feet as I walk across this lawn. I would try to insert some kind of thing that I remembered of his. And from there, I started branching out into Walt Whitman, a little bit of Shakespeare, but I couldn't really understand Shakespeare at the age of 13, 14. Right. Uh, you know, but Walt Whitman, I immediately liked. Khalil Gibran was another poet that really struck me. And so poetry became a way for me to have a conversation and for me to just kind of have this romance with myself because I didn't share what I wrote with anyone and hardly anyone knew that I was writing. Was it a little bit embarrassing to be a writer or to write that sort of thing in <laughs> It was very age? embarrassing. You know, I had this whole facade around me that I was a tough guy. I was, you know, into smoking pot and kind of getting in trouble and that made me a cool guy. So writing poetry and being a sensitive person was not something that I really wanted to share. Uh, But I was in a lot of pain at that time in my life. And so poetry and writing and literature for me was a way to make friends with people that understood me. Mm -hmm. And and a way of escape too, probably, right? It was initially a, a, a way of escape, but later it really became a way of entering a whole new reality. And the realization, at least for me now, is that the drugs and the whole facade was my escape. And poetry really was actually an entrance into, you know, who I am today. Oh, very cool. And you took that poetry and took that path and you made a lot more out of it. You become almost an expert pretty much in poetry. I would say that I know a lot about poetry. I have a degree in English literature and I graduated from a very great school, Seattle University with a 3.7 GPA. So I was, you know, close to the top in in some areas. So, and really loved the work of Milton was one of them. I think John Milton, I don't ever refer to his first name, but one of my favorite pieces of literature is, you know, the story of Adam and Eve really fell in love with that. Wordsworth was another poet that I really like. Uh, Shakespeare, undoubtedly, I think anybody who gets a degree in literature is going to fall in love with Shakespeare. And then, you know, I have other poets that I really love, but it always comes back to me to Pablo Neruda being my favorite. And would you recommend folks look that book up and, and get it and read it? I definitely would recommend that. I mean, Pablo Neruda wrote poetry during the 50s and 60s, I think. And then in 1971, he won the Nobel Literature Prize for his poetry. He was exiled from his country on two different occasions because of his writing. Uh, And so he utilized writing as a way for activism and not just a way to free himself or find some sort of outlet. He's also considered by far one of the greatest poets to have ever lived. Mm -hmm. So anybody who wants to just, how do you write with very descriptive language. How can you touch the veins of emotion through writing and through your pen? Pablo Neruda is a really great teacher for that. Excellent. And you've done some other things, like you've done some poetry slams and you've won some competitions. Tell us about that. Yeah, so in high school, a teacher picked me out and uh, said, you know, Luis, you have a talent and I would like to see you begin to organize the open mics here at the school. 
I had gone out on a limb because of a cute girl. <laughs> it always starts with a girl. And <laughs> decided course. to public publicly share my poetry. So I'd never done that. Really only my parents knew that I wrote. And one day I was on the phone with this girl I had a big crush on. And I decided to open up and share with her some of the stuff I had written. And she said, it's really awesome stuff you're writing. You should come to the poetry event here at the school or open mic. So it wasn't just poetry. There was singing. There was comedy. Whatever you can think of high schoolers performing. So I went there and I read the stuff I had and people loved it. You know, a lot of people clapped and I just felt this exhilaration from it. Afterwards, my teacher came to me and said, hey, Luis, you have a gift and I would really love to see you be in a role of leadership. What do you think about organizing the poetry events next year? So I said, I would love to. So I started doing that and that became my thing. Once a month, I organized a big event at the school. I created a whole identity around it. It really became what I feel was a huge piece of my liberation from drugs and bad friendships and getting bad grades in school. Uh, and after high school, I joined this group called Youth Speaks. I had been part of the group actually while I was in high school as a performer. But after high school, I actually joined it as a coach and started coaching and working with other high schoolers, really believing that that could be a, a way for other people who were experiencing angst and pain to find freedom. As a coach, some of my fees were covered, so I got to travel to California on several occasions. I got to go out to different schools and perform or, you know, help other students. And that was a really fun event. Along with that, you know, I've performed slam poetry on a number of occasions and have won some awards from it. And now I continue to do that, but I don't do that in the same way that I used to. So I used to write a lot. And that was the way that I did my poetry is I wrote it, I edited it. And now when I go to slam poetry events, I just show up and whatever comes to my heart and mind, I perform in an audience and have actually won several events doing that. Oh, wow. Just spur of the moment and you, you know, you just find something to the words to say. Exactly. Crazy. That's crazy. Now, for our, some of our listeners, tell us exactly what is a slam poetry event? Well, a slam, the, really the only difference between a slam poem and something that is written is a slam poem is something that you are going to perform. And so you're going to bring it to life through your expression and through your voice. People don't wear costumes when they do this. You're not allowed to bring like extra little things with you. It's really just you and your voice. But the fun part about anything with language is that voice impacts our perception of the meaning of the words. So if I use the word like silence, it has a meaning inherently. But if I say silence, that is a command. And it's it's a very kind of almost agitated command. Or if I say silence, there's something sweet about it. It, it brings you back into your body. So how can I use language to invoke feeling because writing isn't so much about the words, it's what's within the words or within the expression, or as some people say, it's what's in between the lines of poetry that makes the poem. Right. Oh, that's interesting. These slam poetry events are organized all over the world, really, and you, anybody can go to them. There's adult slam poetry events that are usually held in bars or places that are 21 and over. And then there's slam poetry events that are held in cafes and schools and other areas that are open to the public and anyone that wants to go to them. My personal favorites are slam poetry events that are done by middle schoolers and high schoolers. There's just so much raw emotion that we experience when we're in our teenage years that we can never recap again. So by watching a high schooler perform something, and there's people in high school that are performing 
at a level that I will never reach, no matter how hard I try. And there's other people that you're watching just blossom. You know, there was one girl that I met the very first time she performed. She had these two pieces of pages that she tore out of her notebook. She was about 13 years old, you know, maybe like 4'11". She came on the stage and her hands were shaking furiously while she was like reading. Her voice was shaking. She could barely get her words out. And then a couple years ago, I went to a slam poetry event and she was the Grand Slam champion, meaning that she actually got paid to travel the world to perform in places like Hawaii, Russia, New York, different universities across the country. Oh my um, goodness. You know, Samoa, like going to all sorts of places and getting paid to do so. Oh, that's incredible. Just from that first nervous stage presence and she probably grew as a person and as a performer. In the meantime, right? Exactly. Kind of as part of that, you've coached inner city youth. Is that part of the poetry slam or is that something different? That's the same thing. Yep. So how do you coach someone to perform at a poetry slam? Well, you know, a lot of times we talk about what a writer is. And if you're a listener, this is really important for you. And it's my gift to everybody who's listening is that when we think of ourselves as a writer, or if we think of ourselves not as a writer, we have very different ideas of what that means. So a writer must be someone who's published. It must be someone who's gone to school or has a great sense of just naturally being drawn to create works of art through literature. Whereas my idea and any writer, any bona fide qualified writer, what you'll find is that they call themselves a writer because they write. And there's really no other way of describing a writer other than that. Because the thing about writing is we have people that are incredible writers living currently that no one knows about. And then you have writers that weren't acknowledged until way after they were alive. Emily Dickinson, while she was alive, wasn't considered until around 50 years ago that she was added to the canon of great literature. That's a really important piece for people to get that for you to be a writer, all you need to do is pick up a pen and begin to write. So when you ask me about writing and how do I coach other writers, first I get them to pick up a pen and write. You know, that's the first piece is just show up. The Mm -hmm. next piece is show up and share what you've written with other people. Then the next piece on that is read other great writers and get to know them and try to emulate or, you know, become to some degree, see what you can pick up from them to add to your own writer. If you're doing those things without a doubt, even without the help of anybody, you will become an amazing writer just by simply writing and reading the work of other people and sharing your writing with other people that write. So that's how you coach people. I like that because I tell people about writing memoir, one of the best ways to understand how to write memoir is to read a ton of memoirs. I mean, just read good ones and bad ones and long ones and short ones and read everything you can get your hands on. And what that does is it gives you a sense of variety and and then you start crafting that in your head of how yours might look or feel. Exactly. So do you write a lot today? I have been writing a lot lately, actually. I kind of go through spurts where I write a lot and I don't write a lot. And recently, just something started coming through me and I felt that I had to write and I've been writing a lot. The poet Williams Wordsworth said, poetry is an overwhelming flow of emotion. 
So when we are overcome with emotion and feeling, that's a really incredible time to write. For me, that's become a really great way to do it. Years of education around writing and being critiqued and writing for teachers, professors, other students kind of created this box for me to some degree that for a long time, when I sat down to write, I felt that I was writing for someone else. And so my voice wasn't the voice that was really inherently in me. So when we first begin writing, and we're just doing it as a way to alleviate some sort of suffering or to share comedy or just to connect with some part of ourselves, we're developing our voice. And then when we start writing for other people, we're developing the craft and perfecting it. And there's kind of a fine line between writing and then being able to edit and then being able to be free as you write. And those are very different hats that we're putting on. And we need to be able to put all of the different hats on to be, you know, a well-written author. But at the end of the day, for me, it's, you know, are you enjoying writing and what are you doing to enjoy it? Some people will argue with you, you know, that you just need to show up. It might not feel very good, but just do it. And that's the key. I've really come to a place where I do my best to enjoy it. And that's when I do my best as a writer. But I do spend a lot of time reading other authors. I also really love going out into the woods and creating poems on the spot. And I just wrap them out to the trees. I, you know, uh, people have been asking me to like make YouTube videos or record this stuff and send it out into the public. I haven't done that yet. Uh, and, and I don't know if I ever will. But right now, I know that I love creating poems on the spot because for me, it's still another way for me to connect with the content and the heart of what writing is about for me. Right. And so how do you capture those? Do you take a notebook or you just record your, yourself on your phone or how do you capture that? Or you haven't? You know, my partner on a few occasions has actually filmed me doing it. Ah. So there are a few videos that are like on my phone where I'm doing that. But generally, I just go out into the woods and do it. And the only people that will ever hear it are the trees. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> and that's okay, too. Yeah. Writing is such a personal thing. Sometimes it's for you, first of all. Yeah, that's what I want people to know, that writing, first of all, is for you. And if you enjoy sharing it and that's fun for you, then fantastic. If that's not your thing, that doesn't mean you're any less of a writer than anyone else. Right. Absolutely. Well, Luis, what is your biggest strength as a writer? My biggest strength as a writer is my ability to create content right then and there. So on the flip side, my, my biggest weakness is I don't enjoy sitting down and editing. Mm -hmm. That's why I say they're very different hats. Editing is an analytical piece, whereas just creating content and sitting down and writing is just, it's just a creative process. All I'm doing is I'm creating and I'm flushing out my mind. Mm -hmm. So I suggest for people when you're first writing, Try to just do the piece of just flushing out your thoughts. You know, uh, the artist's way has some great suggestions around that, which is three pages, write three pages a day and just let it be stream of consciousness. Don't think about what you're writing and don't go back and read it. Do you have writing prompts that you use or are you just whatever's top of mind? I use writing prompts sometimes. You know, I really enjoy going into the work of some of the poets that I've mentioned earlier. And finding little pieces, nuggets within their work that I enjoy and writing that down into my journal. And then later I'll come back into it and I'll go, oh, I like that little line that, you know, Hafiz has a line that I love using is, you and I used to play footsie in our mother's womb. 
you know, so I like playing with that. Oh. So I like taking that. And then it's like, you know, what can I do with that line? We used to play footsie in our mother's womb. We've known each other for ages and aeons before existence existed. You and I, we were brothers and sisters. I love you to the depth of the universe or something, you know, just play around with stuff like that. I like that. Do you have one of your poems or any piece of your writing that you'd like to share? So a lot of my poetry is not edited. In college, I wrote a lot of stuff that was that I went back and had to be very meticulous with and share in groups and be picked apart and have red written all over it and take it home and fix it. I want to share with people something that I wrote after I went back to, at the age of 18, I met my father, my biological father for the very first time. And I went back to Colombia where I was born and met him, relearned Spanish at the same time. And then I came back to the U.S. after spending three months abroad in Latin America. And I went to a writing group. And one of the things that if you really want to be a serious writer is write what you think you shouldn't write. You know, whatever hits you the hardest, write about that. If we look at some of the greatest pieces of literature, we'll find that all of it is biographical and it's deeply personal. Even if you read works of uh, fiction, you'll find the author has sprinkled themselves in there. The story of Hamlet, for example, Shakespeare lost his son uh, right before he wrote that play, and his son was named Hamnet, I think was his name. That whole piece, you know, the whole story of Hamlet is dealing with death and the curiosity of life and what does it mean. I mean, people can argue about what it means all day long. That's my take on it. But just by hearing that Shakespeare had lost his son and then later he named a play Hamlet that's very close to his son's name, you know, we're dealing with, with somebody who's, who's lost somebody. And that's undoubtedly Shakespeare wrote himself into that play. Right. So I encourage people just to write what you're afraid of writing and, and don't worry about what comes out. So I'll share something that's very personal to me. I've never edited this and I will probably never go back and change it. Uh, 20 minutes was what I was given to write this. And I was given a writing prompt by the group leader. This is the beginning prompt. If his words were a plane. So you take that and you make what you can with it. So this is what I wrote. If his words were a plane, his words would be an old broken down World War II plane. His words would look like the streets of Columbia, old and homeless words that reek of silence and emotions drowned out by alcohol. His words would never fly because poverty has made his heart heavy and depression is known to kill inhibition. He might try to talk after he's drank a few lines. He might try to talk after he's drank a bottle of aguardiente. He might dance alone in the streets and sniff a few lines of pride. But reality can't escape and poverty eats away at all hope and admiration makes him hopeless. This plane once flew. It once soared over mountains with a painting of a shark's jaws on the side. But eventually he ran out of gas. The propellers stopped spinning and the silence that creates words stopped working. As the plane began to fall, he began to look down. He realized America now means North America. And South America can't fly. Because that culture is being eaten by the vultures. 
Words being slurred make the view foggy, and I can't ever understand what we're talking about. Maybe it's technology that keeps us separate, because now that he's landed, he always has to be talking with Bajenatos or Rancheras blasting. And when he sees me, he remembers himself, but he won't admit we're the same. Instead, he just shoots empty bullets until he's out of ammo and then he begins to cry with apologies. I wish he didn't have to be so drunk to fly. So many emotions kept secret, so much gas to fill that plane up. But he thinks struggle is heavy and he can't see over his ego. Father, why did you decide to use your words for war and why did you push my mother out? Hope has parachuted out of the plane. Then there's my mother's words. The words are similar to my father's, the words of a boy who's never forgotten and still hasn't forgiven. But believe me, if I could, I would carry my family from Colombia to North America, or maybe I would fly enough planes to South America to make people see that America doesn't mean North America. If I could, I would use verbs to fly, make circles around the world like a beautiful O written in cursive. I would hang from paper lines like a Y and write words like love until my existence became a sentiment. I would make a beautiful dance to bridge cultures with this alphabet. Then there's my mother's words. They've disappeared into the center of an O. Her hollow spirit surrounds me like a noun that holds silence within its sound, a description that guides my flight. So what words would you use to spark the fuse and begin your flight? Wow. That is deep. It's complicated. It's emotional. It's really real. That's very interesting piece. Thank you. Where did you where did that come from? So it was just a one writing prompt, but it was something inside of you? Definitely. It was definitely something inside of me. I mean, for me, you know, spending three months with my biological father for the very first time in my life, you know, that's that's what it's about is uh, you know, the that's a challenging experience for an 18-year-old to go through. Right. I love your phrase, hope has parachuted out of the plane. Thank you. I love that. Well, what last words of wisdom would you have for someone who would like to get started writing and maybe don't know where to start? Anytime that we have an inspiration, one of the hardest pieces of doing is comparison. When people hear that poem, I generally get compliments. But I will tell you that soon after writing that poem, I took it and I performed. And I didn't do very well in that performance. And so for a period of about five or seven years, I stopped performing. I stopped going to events where I shared with people uh, and kind of avoided sharing very much during writing circles. And I really closed up in a lot of ways. And I thought that going to school would make me a better writer so that I could come back and be this like, wow, Luis is back, you know, but he's he's way better than before. And he's he's at a very high level, competitive level. And he's he's this and that. And that was a really big setback because I stopped using writing for what it was originally meant for, which for me was a, a form of expression and getting to know myself. So long-winded answer is that if you feel inspired to write, don't do it for anyone else. Just sit down and, and write about what's going on for you. And if it doesn't sound great, so what? Fabulous. That's great advice. Luis, this has been incredible. And I 
definitely appreciate you sharing your knowledge, your insight, your inspiration, and your poetry with us. Thank you so much to you, Stacy, and to everyone listening. Thank you. Welcome to Stacy's Journal. In this segment, I let you peek into my journal as I share my thoughts on a topic or resilience resource. I loved Luisa's background in oral storytelling and poetry slams. Sharing your story out loud can not only be empowering, but it can really move other people who hear it. It's a unique way of sharing your experiences because storytelling is among the oldest form of entertainment. It even dates back to 10th century Japan. Before you go all prickly at the thought of speaking in front of a group, consider going smaller at first by joining a local story circle where everyone shares their stories, or even simply reading aloud to a friend. The act of receiving someone's story is a gift that people want to give you. By sharing your story aloud, you enable others to hear your story, acknowledge your struggles and your triumphs, and connect with you on a different level through your story. You can Google writing circles or even live storytelling near your city. That's all we have for today. In the last episode, Mike Vini shared his thoughts on struggling with suicide attempts and mental health. So if you know anyone who might resonate with that topic, you might want to go back and have a listen. Next week, we'll interview Carol Graham, who just might be the most tenacious person you'll ever know. I love interacting with our listeners on social media. We're on Pinterest, Facebook, and just about anywhere you can hold a great virtual conversation. Before you go, don't forget to go and register for the upcoming webinar, Four Simple Proven Methods to Writing the First Chapter of Your Life Story in Just Seven Days. Head over to stacybrookman.com webinar for that. One more thing, we're having fun counting down the 100 plus most important memoirs of the past 200 years. So our memoir of the day is by Maya Angelou. It's her famous, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, written in 1969. Sent by their mother to live with their devout grandmother, Maya and her brother Bailey are abandoned to the prejudice of the locals. At eight years old, back at her mother's side, Maya is attacked by a man and has to live with the lifetime consequences. She learns that love for herself, others' kindness, her strong spirit, and the ideas of great authors allow her to be free instead of imprisoned. Check out I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings and all the memoirs on this list at stacybrookman.com 100 memoirs. And always remember that life is a story and it's never too late to start telling yours.